Welcome to Obstetric Anesthesia Basics, a short podcast series for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. Hi everyone, welcome back. <laughs> We've only been gone for two seconds, but for you guys it might be a couple of weeks in between episodes. So I've got Matt uh, Rutledge uh, and Shilpa back with me again talking about epidural analgesia in labour. So um, if you haven't listened to the first episode where we just went through the basics of putting in or, or starting off epidural analgesia in labour, go, go and listen to that first. What we're going to talk about now is um, some common problems, troubleshooting epidurals and common problems that you might encounter. Uh, I've made some notes. You guys might have thought of some other things I haven't thought of. There's quite a few things that can go wrong. Um, so I'm going to go right back to the start. Uh, we, when you go into the room and you want to talk, you, you, obviously you talk to the patient to try and get consent. What do you say, um, or how do you approach the situation where the patient's just in lots of pain and she's like, yeah, you know, she goes, "Don't talk to me, just f and get on with it." You know, how do you approach that? Should I start? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave this one for well, you, Matt. <laughs> well, to some extent. I think you want to kind of do what she's suggesting you do. Yes. Uh, and the fact that she is um, verbalising it as such probably is suggesting that she is also consenting yep. to some extent to the um, procedure. And, and the whole sort of consent issue regarding epidural analgesia in labour is, is a thorny one, which we won't go down. Um, but I think we have a duty to still provide risk, even if we're being told to just stick it in. Yep, um, and I think you can do that pretty quickly. Um, finding out whether she's had one before, you know, will give yeah. some context to it. You know, so if she already understands the process, yep, uh, we can miss some of that out. But look, I would never do this without providing um, some verbal discussion about the risks, yep. regardless of you know how keen she is for me to get on with it. But I think you can do it in a pretty timely way as you're sort of getting other things sorted as well. Yeah, that's right. So you still have to do all the other things um, before you can actually just stick it in. And so you can just talk to them while you're getting stuff ready. And yeah, uh, they might not remember any of it because they, they may be using nitrous oxide, etc. But their partners and um, the midwife in the room will remember. So yeah, I, Look, I always think, you know, if, if, if some disastrous thing did happen and I, I hadn't covered that, um, I would wish I had. Uh, <coughs> yeah, but I think it's right. important to, to don't drop your guard. But also don't spend too long. No. Labouring the point. Yep, I agree. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, and this is a common one. So you, you've, you, you t- you, you're trying to put an epidural on a patient, but every time they get a contraction, they literally uh, start waving their arms, wailing, thrashing all over the place, um, flicking their gown and their hair or, or other <laughs> non-sterile things into your field, um, and you, you're getting really frustrated. Um, because you're, you're having trouble keeping the, the field sterile and or maybe you've, maybe you've got the drape on and so you, you can keep things sterile but you're really worried about them holding still while you're, while you're trying to put the epidural in. What do you guys do? How do you, how do you approach this? That's a tricky one. Yeah, it is, it is challenging. I think firstly trying to reassure your patient as much as you can and uh, just communicate with your patient. Um, but have a look and see, is there anything else um, 
you know, is the patient on some oxytocin? Can we speak to the midwives and say, can you stop the oxytocin infusion for that, you yep. know, for that 15, 20 minutes whilst we're trying to insert this epidural in? Decreasing those contractions may allow a bit more compliance with the patient for us inserting this epidural. Yep. Um, I guess if the patient is not using nitrous, allowing them maybe some nitrous to coach them through, um, you know, the, the, the upcoming sort of contractions to allow us to insert this epidural as well. Yep. Can I make a quick comment before yes, I, of course. you can get going? So yeah. I sometimes find that actually the nitrous, the opposite helps as yep. well. So some women are using so much nitrous they cannot even understand what you're saying. Yep. And I've had situations where I've actually just asked the midwife to turn turn it to oxygen, okay. and suddenly they can hear you. And, you, and when you ask them to hold still and you, exp- and you explain to them what you want them to do, they realise what they need to do. Yeah. So that's that's a sort of individual thing. Yep. Give on. Um, and then I think sometimes also understanding that you know we're inserting a sixteen gauge TUI in a patient who is so non-compliant uh, and if they're moving around and, you know, as you said, w- waving their arms around in the air and not sitting still for us, um, we, you know, we could we, d- we could decide whether maybe f- to, to gain control of the situation and help with her labour analgesia in, you know, a, sm- a single-shot spinal, getting her comfortable before attempting to insert a, uh, an epidural may also be an option. Yep. Um, anything... Mm. Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, um, all yeah. that, yeah. all good good advice. Um, just developing good rapport right yeah. from the start. Yes. Don't, don't you know, lose that, yeah. um, I think, can, can help. Um, yes. And and uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, impressions of time is, is different if you're labouring to when, when you walk in to do something. And even though we're sometimes moving quite quickly, it can probably feel like we're, we're not. Um, but just trying to maintain that rapport and reassurance yeah. and don't take it out on them your frustrations in terms yes, of that's right. the difficulty so um and good assistance as well i've got to say you know sometimes just just good assistance yeah, can true. really help can't it true. yes so it's having a good a midwife who's very uh who's really in, in tune with how, how to help you is very good um and the partner on board as well and the partner yeah and a key point, Matt, to don't lose it. Like they can pick up on your tone of voice. You yeah. might be saying reassuring things but sounding really annoyed. Mm-hmm. They can tell that. Um, so just get control of yourself a little bit as well. Just take a deep breath yeah. and remember yeah. nothing bad's going to happen if they don't get this epidural. Um, you know, and um, don't want to labour the point, but but um, the, the language you use is important. It should be all really mm-hmm. positive. Like I've done thousands or hundreds or one epidural um, <laughs> and the reason we do or you could just say sort of in general terms you know, thousands of epidurals are put in in Australia every year most people are having contractions when they're put in this is normal you're going to have contractions while we're doing it it's fine we can always work around it most people can hold still most people surprise themselves how good they are holding still for a few contractions while we do this um, you know just letting them know that they're, they're, they're capable of it you know I find it is quite difficult if people don't speak English. Yeah, um, but definitely it does make it a bit harder. You, me- you mentioned the course, spinal, did you? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, f- I find s- there's there's not not too many instances where I've done that, but there yeah. have been a few yeah. where just to gain control of the patient wailing around, moving yeah. around. Um, uh, 
you know, one, 1. 1.5 mils in the spinal space and yep. she relaxes, she's able to sit still and then yep. for me So to we should clarify, when you're doing a spinal or a CCN labour, that what you use is so it's not the same drugs that you'd be using for a spinal yep. in theatre. Sure, true. So this is, Sorry, a, this the is a premix, premix which is the, yep. the bupivacaine 0.125% yep. with fentanyl here, so it's a very small dose. Um, true. Um, and... I think that's probably without labouring it. The positioning device, which we have at King Edward, I find is amazing because if um, they just they just curl up on it like a massage chair because that's what it looks like and they just don't do this. Um, all right. Next um, point. So, you, so you're trying to put the epidural on this woman and 15 minutes later you're still <laughs> poking her <laughs> with this big massive needle and you just cannot get it in. And let's say that you've, you know... You've been trying for 15 minutes and you can feel you the tension rising in you, the partner's going, she's going, how long is it going to take? Have you ever done it yet? Um, the partner's sort of looking at you like you're uh, useless and asking you how... <laughs> I think everyone here is like laughing nervously because they've been there. Um, Absolutely. So this is a really tr- probably even more difficult situation than the last scenario how, how do you guys approach this because now you're starting to feel like you're you know <laughs> you're questioning yourself and there's a lot of emotions as uh, at this point um again don't blame the patient or don't, yep. don't blame the uh, the lady in labor um and, and also coming back to time be mindful of time again again once we're sort of in, in the zone and focused time can get away from yeah. us and, and all of a sudden you know we have actually been poking around for 40 minutes. 40 minutes. <laughs> yes. I five know. and a half hours. And, <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, you know, and, and I think it's really important to set yourself um, an end point. You know, that yep. you're, you're not going to just continue forever. forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, if that's walking away, coming back later, if there's no one else to come back um, in, instead of you, or getting an extra pair of eyes and hands. Um, yes. But just be, be mindful of time. Um, and also think about, you know, why am I failing? You know, have I gone into the yeah. epidural space and then gone into a vein? Or have I got into the epidural space not being able to thread the catheter? It's kind of different to just not getting into the epidural space at all. So yep. you might be more inclined to carry on if, if you'd already been in the epidural space and it was straightforward, but you'd had difficulty actually getting the catheter in. Um, if we were just not getting into the epidural space and, and hitting bone, then we're going to try and use all our techniques to work out if we're in the midline. Yep. And um, for me, that would be, you know, helping the um, me by asking whether uh, the woman is feeling me in the midline. And that's, you know, seems to be some evidence that, you know, um, you know, if it feels I'm on the right, then I probably am sticking my needle towards the right. And yep. over the years, I, I, I asked them to basically do the epidural for me, really, and help, <laughs> <laughs> help guide it in because they're always right. You know, if they're feeling it on the right. It is on the right. It's yeah. on the right. You yeah. know, even if it, you look down and you think, it can't be on the right. But we can't see how the spine is orientated. So yep. get feedback from them. Yep. The, you know, the, the ongoing reassurance, the positive language you say, Roger, keeping the, you know, the back open up as much as you can with that flex. And after just getting the extra bit of flex... Yeah, so re- reposition in. the patient if the position's bad. Yeah. Um, and, and I find exactly what you said in the earlier podcast, uh, sometimes where I've failed at epidurals is because the patient's not positioned properly. And so, yeah. you know, on the bed, we've got all those little breaks in the bed yep. and maybe they're just not positioned adequately. I also find sometimes just asking them to, you know, take a bit of a break. So, yep. uh, you know, I, I allow them just to, to straighten the back out, take a few nice deep breaths for me. 
um, and then just take a take a break and then restart again and so yep. position them again ask them to you know wriggle around in the bed and see if they're sitting uh, sitting as straight as they can be mm-hmm. you know anything and I don't think we also mentioned maybe um, changing the level we're at so if yep. we're if That's we're right. only attempting at one level you know can we palpate any anatomy? So can we actually palpate the spinous process? Can we attempt maybe a, a level higher? Yep. And, you know, whether we get success with that as well. Yep. And then, uh, so we've mentioned all the things that I've got down here. And then obviously, you, Matt's already mentioned, get another person. Yep. Even if you're a senior. Mm-hmm. Like, I've asked for people to come yeah, in yeah. my hand occasionally yeah. when I'm looking, you know, when I'm a consultant and I'm supposed to be able to get it in. But don't ever say yeah. that to yourself because sometimes you just, you know, everyone just has a, uh, encounters a difficult situation and it's just so nice to have someone to come and help you hmm. um, so yeah so try another improve the positioning ask the patient for some feedback try another into space get another person to come and give you a hand before that I would uh, say that you know especially if you can't palpate someone's spine whether that's because they're obese or because they've got a lot of edema in their back which some women have with preeclampsia or just in pregnancy in general if you can't feel the spine get the ultrasound and I know some people listening might say, yeah, but we don't have ultrasound. But every, the only ultrasound probe you need is a curvilinear probe. And I would say that every obstetric unit in Australasia um, has a curvilinear probe because that's what the obstetricians use. So all you need is um, a, uh, a sterile cover. And you can just ask them to go and get the labelled probe. Um, and you and could argue you don't need a sterile cover if you didn't have sterile covers. Yes. Yes. So, well, you could just use... Yeah. Um, what, what would you use instead? Oh, I think uh, Matt's maybe trying to say that we could just re scrub Yeah, you could just unscrub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can unscrub. Just unscrub. Un- unscrub. Some, sometimes, you know, yeah, if yeah. you've been in and out, you know, there's there's blood and there's yeah, know, yeah. the back's swollen and everything's all just getting a little bit messy. And sometimes I think just, you know, taking a break, take all the drapes off, can all the equipment you've got, and sometimes your epidural needle gets blunted anyway just by going in and out. Yeah. You know, have a little wonder, come back. It's almost like coming into a different room with a different patient. Yeah, that's um, right. Put the ultrasound on and, you know, have a good look and, and start again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and everyone's sort of had a bit of a break. And 95% of the time, finding the midline with an ultrasound is um, is, a, is a key, use, useful thing to do. And it's very easy. Yes. And, and, and in fact, I will often now, um, if I cannot palpate someone's back, I will actually use the ultrasound before I even start. Because I just hate getting in that situation yeah. where if 35 minutes in, everyone in the room's half uh, faces have gone red, including yours, and you feel really yeah. stressed. I, I would go as far as saying, if you can't, if you don't know where the midline is, everybody should use some technology which is easy yes. and readily available. Yep. So you've got that information. If it was my back being poked around, I would yeah. prefer that. And yeah. maybe the future is that that we we do use. You know, very readily available technology to show us exactly yep. where the midline is. Okay, yeah, and so final point, and be careful with your language and be careful of, um, so always be careful of the phrases you use. So just say it's not your fault, it's not my fault, you've just got a tricky back. That's a useful phrase. This happens every now and then. Always tell them what you're thinking. Like, you know, I'm not going to, always say, I'm, I'm not going to keep going forever, but I think I should have another. I think I'm going to have another go in a different space. Just tell them what the plan is, and always reinforce the fact that you've got some other trick up your sleeve, and that you're not going to go forever. And and always uh, keep asking them whether they like a break, how are you going, uh, and then afterwards I th- always thank them for being so patient. And, you know, just keep them on your side because yep. you need them on your side. 
<laughs> okay. Any other final points? I think we covered most things there. Um, sometimes you just can't get it in, and well, hopefully, well, exactly some, sometimes they just have a baby, and, then you get, yeah, and it's all over. If you, if you try for long enough. <laughs> um, no, you're right. Sometimes it just can't be done. Yeah, you, know? there, and, it is, you it don't is want possible. to cause harm in trying yeah. to do something that, yeah. like you say, is not always necessary. There are yep. alternatives that yep. we can yep. use. Yeah, yep. and I, I think also just making sure. Don't force your epidural. If if we did get into the right space, don't force your epidural catheter. Yes. In either, I don't think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think I don't know if we've got that as a, okay. a troubleshooting point, but yeah, if you're feeding the catheter and it's causing significant pain and it won't go, don't push it in. Yeah. It's up against something neurological and it's yep. you're causing, you know, you could cause trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes they get a little twinge as you thread it in, but if it's threading in easily and it's just a brief twinge, it's different too. Yeah. You know, trying to force it through something yeah. that won't go. Yeah, um, and, and likewise, if you're in that position and you've got your catheter halfway in, but it's not going in, don't just pull it out through the epidural needle. Pull the whole thing out as yes, well that's to right. avoid Good. the risk of severing yes. the catheter, which is a thing. I know. Yes, yeah, so we know cases of, We do know of cases uh, yeah. where that's happened. So you can so the, the catheter get caught on the two needle and gets severed, and then they have a piece of plastic in their back for the rest of their life. So most neurosurgeons won't go in and remove yeah. it. Um, okay. Next most common thing, so you, you so you have put an epidural in and you've left and then you get a phone call at some point in time later on by the midwife who's saying it's not working. Um, who wants to run through? What's the sort of a, a good standard approach to this? Um, I can start with this one, Matt. I hmm. think there's uh, a few things. So number one, is the catheter not working because the catheter is not in the right place yep. or is there not adequate dose being administered through that catheter or has the patient's labor just progressed so rapidly and not adequate again not adequate doses have been administered and then unfortunately has the catheter been misplaced so yep. ha, you know it has it not been secured well enough and has it just come out um which i know in my approach if there's anything else i've missed there but those <coughs> are the main sort of things i would be thinking about yep um, I'd also want to see, uh, you know, just really quickly, did I put that epidural in? Was it difficult to insert? Um, how many, you know, uh, and how much catheter was in uh, was left in the space? So if whilst trying to troubleshoot that catheter, only about three centimetres was left in the space, maybe it's a bit easier for it to be dislodged compared to, uh, you know, a catheter that was five centimetres in the space. Yep. Um, I forgot what your question was, Matt, uh, Roger. Oh, it's just your approach. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I like, uh, when I get to the room, I like to, before I start putting drugs or things down, I like to look at their back. Yeah. So so roll them on the side, because if it's obviously like in the bed <laughs> or there's heaps of fluid under the dressing, so oh, yeah, well, the drugs have been injected are just ending up on the dressing, yeah. then you don't waste the next 15 minutes trying to, trying to top it up with all the other different medications that you can try. Um, obviously, you just go pull it out and put a new one in. Um, any... Anything else, Matt? I think <coughs> knowing whether the epidural was working originally is yes, useful. Yes, that's useful. Um, you know, if they say, Do you know what, it's never really worked yeah. that well. You yeah. know, it's very different to an epidural that was working well initially, um, but you know, yep. now was wearing off. And, and just working out where they are in their labour, how well they're progressing, yes. are they about to have a baby, do we just need that's to right. supplement this with something a little bit stronger? Yeah. Um, yep, so if it has been working well, and then you look at the back and it still looks like it's in the right depth and there's no yep. fluid on the dressing and it looks like it's in the right spot and usually you know not always but 95% of the time 
giving more analgesia down the epidural will help will work um i agree what drugs would you normally um put down if that's the situation what sort of things do you guys use there's whole lots of different ways to do this well i would start with low doses of local anesthetic yeah um initially so so something similar to the to the premix you would maybe start your <coughs> Uh, labor epidural off with so typically 0.0125% yep. uh, bupivacan with some fentanyl but getting a reasonable volume yep. so you know 10 to 15 mils yeah I agree to try and just get that spread yep that would be my first go to yep. <coughs> I agree I, that's exactly what I would do and s- sometimes I do that's the main thing I do when, when I'm trying to top it up just more dilute solution sometimes especially I have a lower threshold of, um, if people have, say that it's spreading mainly on one side not the other or um, they're hypertensive, say they've got preeclampsia or something like that. Yeah. I, I might try um, 75 mics of clonidine or diluted in 10 mils of saline as well. Uh, but I don't use that anywhere near as often as just using the, the yeah. normal premix. Um, okay. And you might think of just some opioid, um, yeah. some fentanyl yeah. Yeah. as well, if we're, especially with rectal pressure. Yeah, that's um, right. It's so. said to be you know, some benefit to that. Yeah, so, so so just to sort of clarify that a bit more, so when the baby is entering the second stage, suddenly it's in the um, vagina and the perineal and the perineum causing pain. You yeah. can, Matt's making <laughs> I'm using body language to communicate through the podcast. <laughs> um, and so those nerves are obviously yeah. further down in your axiom and so suddenly all the um, local anesthetic or all the medications we've given haven't, haven't spread to the sacral dermatomes. Yeah. So yeah, you, it's not off. It's often encountered, isn't it? You get called down to you get called down for an epidural that's not working, and as you are sort of figuring out what to do, they have a have a baby. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and with respect to you know position, you know positioning the patient to position the woman to try and get the spread into the bits that the local anaesthetic isn't reaching. We typically do. How effective it is, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it works, for, got it works some, for spinals, but I'm not sure. Cause yeah, but you'll you'll often see you know if the block's a bit less on the left side, there'll be. Left side, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> um, you know wh- whether it works or not. I'm, I'm it makes everyone happy. They feel like they're doing something. Yeah. yeah. So it's not necessarily bad either. Yeah. Um, and if it's an accidental intrathecal catheter, probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You run. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, you're you're placing the epidural and you get blood. This is a not infrequent. Well, it's, it's supposed mm. to be like um, two to five percent of the time, depending on your technique. Or one to five percent, or something like that. Mm. So, you, so you've you've got loss of resistance. You've hopefully you've um, flushed the space through the two needle with some saline to try and get any veins out of the way. But the epidural space is full of veins. You thread your epidural catheter, and when you're testing it, it's you can withdraw blood. How do you guys approach that? Shall I answer that? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> uh, so I, I would <coughs> tend to put a bit more epidural catheter into the space than I need to leave in which gives me the opportunity to flush and withdraw the, the catheter. So, yep. so my, my, the first thing I would do is, yeah, look look for it initially, um, so, so aspirate, or just to sort of just hold the catheter down and just see if blood is coming out of it. And then I would flush the catheter, withdraw by a centimetre, um, aspirate. If still seeing blood, I would flush, withdraw, aspirate, and keep going really until I felt I was at the point where there wasn't enough catheter to leave in to provide adequate pain relief for the duration of the labour which in a you know, normal BMI would be maybe I might go down to 3 centimetres but if I got to 3 centimetres and I could aspirate without any blood coming back I would be comfortable leaving the epidural yep. catheter in 
Yep. If someone was, if I like, still had blood, I would take it out, do it again. Yeah. If someone was of a high BMI, you know, another person, it was going to be a long labour. Yeah. I, I would be uncomfortable leaving three centimetres yeah. in the space. I would probably just pull that out, even if I couldn't aspirate. I'd probably pull that yeah. out and yeah. try and no, recite it. Yeah. Because I know, yeah, I know, I just have in the back of my mind that the chance of it, you know, coming out by itself in the next few hours is pretty high, and then you're going to be needing to put it back in again. So you might as well just get on with it. Um, often, my, my, you know, most of the time that works. Is that yep. your yeah. Yeah. experience so when, too? So when you have to, when you find that you can't get it to work and you have to pull it out, and then you're going to have to go back in again. Yeah. What's your approach? You're going to go straight back in the same spot. You're going to go another space. Are you going to? I, I tend to go straight back to the same spot. spot. Yeah, I often and, and give another, you know, um, a, a good volume of saline um, yeah. through the uh, the epidural, through the two-e needle before putting the catheter in again. And I was just I was just talking to Matt about this earlier. I found uh, the last couple of times where I've had uh, an intravascular catheter. Now I don't know obviously if there's any evidence to this, but it was usually when I've threaded the catheter just as the patient's probably having contraction or has just had a contraction, and whether that that's the epidural veins are slightly more dilated, and that's why the the catheter's yep. gone into the um, the epidural vein. Um, it's possible, yeah, yeah. And I often think I don't know if there's evidence for this, and it's not always true. But often, if you're slightly off centre, I think okay. you're more likely to hit a vein. Yep. And if you so sometimes, even though you're going to go back in the same spot, I, I just reassess again yep. exactly where the midline is and try and get in the middle. Because uh, I've found that you know if I hit, I've got I found loss of resistance, but I've been a little bit on the left or the right. It's gone intravenous, and then I've like reassessed things and gone in the middle, and I haven't got a hit of vein. Now I don't know if there's evidence for that. What do you think, Matt? I, I don't know. Yeah, because sometimes like the first time I went in, it was like six centimeters, and I got a, yeah. it was intravenous, and then I've reassessed things. And maybe I've just palpated, or I even used an ultrasound, yeah. and I've gone back in and I've realised that I was off centre. Yeah. And I get loss of resistance at five centimetres, and it threads in, and there's no no blood. Okay. So, just just check to make sure you're in the midline as well. Yeah. Um, and I think you know when, when we say just go back in the same place we went to, we, we we won't be going back directly into the same place. You know, we yeah we're at the same level. Same level, yeah. But yeah. um, yeah, you know, and the reason I would do that would be we've already provided local anaesthetic there. Yeah. Um, yeah. From my experience, most of the time, it's it, fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. So. Um, but but our but our needle tip probably ends up in a slightly different place to where we were initially, First time. and yep. then you know a good volume of saline to try and push everything away. Yep. And then if I then had another intra- intravascular catheter, then sure I would change my approach. Yeah, completely. usually just go to another level. That's fine. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, so fetal bradycardia after you do the block. Now this is more common when you do um, a combined spinal epidural for labour analgesia, which we haven't really talked about, but you can. We did briefly touch on doing spinal analgesia f- when you're having difficulties but some people just do this more routinely yeah you want to talk about that Matt yeah well it, it's, it's <laughs> it is a thing and and it's more common um with a combined spinal epidural and it's yep. because of the uh, most likely the opioid within the spinal block um so uh be aware that it might happen um that said, there are many women that have combined spinal epidurals without any long-term detriment to the fetal heart. It may be yeah. there for a little while. Most of the time, you know, it's it's short-lived. And interestingly, you know, it's not always associated with hypertension. So sometimes no. you see this um, reduction in fetal heart rate. And the first thing you look to is the... Um, blood pressure. The blood pressure. And often blood pressure is fine. fine. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, over the years, you know... Um, 
the midwives often you know go to the CGG and I used to be oh yeah she's going with the blood pressure but I can see why they're doing that and actually you know we, yep. we can we can look at the woman and see whether she's still conscious um, but actually getting the you know monitoring the baby will give you an immediate indication of how well the perfusion is yeah. um, so I'm, I'm kind of happy to you know get that done first and then assess blood pressure yeah and the explanation I've had uh, and I'm uh, I've heard that from more than one source and I've read it in an editorial too is that um, when someone's in a lot of pain, they've got a high sympathetic tone, and you know we all we know that um, things like salbutamol and and um, beta adrenergic drugs are tocolytic. But when you suddenly take away all that pain, then there's less um, you know beta adrenergic stimulation of the uterus, and they have these really strong contractions, mm-hmm. and that can cause fetal bradycardia. Um, and that's not you know completely independent of the maternal yeah. blood pressure. And I've certainly seen it. So I am a bit more reluctant to do um, spinals or CSCs for labour analgesia in women who have already got an, a non-reassuring trace yeah. or if they have a really small fetus like an IEGR baby or something that makes me a bit nervous about them. It could be a little bit less tolerant of things like that. Yeah. Um, having said that, like we said, you know, these things are very rare. We probably see them more in our hospital because we have these yeah. higher number of um, fetuses that are a bit more sensitive to that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I think it can happen. So, yeah, I think just being aware of it, I think is... Yeah, is, so how would you important. treat it if it happens? Um, I Code blue Caesar? Fetal <laughs> <laughs> resuscitation? Right no. up to theatre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Sarcasm. Okay, right. <laughs> what, what would we ne- actually do? <laughs> yeah, like Shilpa says, intrauterine fetal resuscitation. Yep. Yeah. Which is? Uh, left lateral tilt. Yep. Um... IV hydration, stopping any oxytocics that are currently yep. being administered, CCG monitoring. Yeah. And you can even, they can even give terbutaline or something like that yeah, to true. stop the yeah, fetal contraction. Yeah, because if it's going to stop the woman from having a unnecessary caesarean just because they've had a, um, you know, these really strong contractions that have come on because you've done a really good block, <laughs> and suddenly they've got no pain and, and their uterus is squeezing the hell out of their baby, um, then that's probably a good thing. But I have definitely seen some caesareans occur where that's, that, you know, yeah. they've been really sore. I've gone down, I've done a CSE. I remember this woman who had an IGL baby. As soon as I done the CSE, she she was like so happy because she had no pain. <laughs> it was just this long bradycardia that didn't resolve no matter what we did, and she ended up having a caesar. Um, but that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've done the next next problem. You do so you do an epidural, um, and the mother's blood pressure tanks. Body, how you suddenly she feels faint and uh, the blood pressure shows 65 over 40. What's your approach? What are you thinking about and what do you do? Uh, so, firstly, management of that hypotension, um, IV hydration, giving her some depends on what her heart rate is, yep. and actually also depends on what drugs we have available at that point in time. Um, I'd use ephedrine or metaraminol, depending on what we had yep. in our labour room at that point in time, very rapidly. Then the cause of this hypotension, is it that we've, I've just given too much of the um, the drugs, so... Yep, put them in the left lateral too. Oh, you yeah, mentioned sorry. that before. Yes, yep. yes. Yep. do that, definitely. Um, is it a vasovagal? Is it a... Um, which I have had a couple of times where the patient's just had a vasovagal and it's just really untimely that it coincides with me having administered drugs, but yep. it's just, uh, she's just vasovagal. 
Um, but then also, is this a unrecognised dural puncture? And has my five to seven mils of testose been adequate enough to cause uh, a spinal block? And yep. therefore, um, she's she's got hypotension associated with that. Yep. Um, I'd aspirate from that catheter to see if there was free-flowing CSF. Yep. Yeah, I think that's most of the things I'd If do. I was a registrar, or even if, um, I guess, even as a senior, I'd also call for help if um, yeah. I needed mm. an extra pair of hands, uh, if the situation wasn't um, rapidly getting better. Yeah, and they, <coughs> they, you want them to check the baby as well, because yeah. um, yeah. um, they need to check what's happening there, because if blood, maternal blood pressure is low, then the baby might be compromised. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you cover most things. And you can't leave uh, the room until you're yeah. happy stable. <laughs> I have, you know... You can't just give some ephedrine or everything's good through and walk out because that'll wear off and let's yeah. <laughs> just make sure that when that wears off, everything's still good. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be stuck in that room for a while, aren't you? Yeah. Which is tricky with if you're in a busy hospital like else our, can be and yeah. you've got all these other competing demands, you may well actually have to phone someone and ask them to come in and give you a hand if yeah. people are waiting in the theatre or there's more epidurals to do because yeah. you might be stuck in that room for half an hour. I think vasovagal is not that uncommon. Yeah. I, I, I would say that's probably the most common yeah. cause of the blood pressure falling at the yeah. time of epidurals. And the being, being I, gee, I can think of several times where I put the epidural in just about to put some local anaesthetic down. Yeah, and they have vasovagal. And they said, I feel, I'm drugs. feeling sick. Yeah. And um, they're wide as a sheet. And yeah. You, yeah. you lay them down on their side before you've even dressed the catheter. And um, that yeah. was clearly vasovagal. Yeah. You know, had we just put the local anaesthetic in, it then muddies the waters as to yeah, what right. caused that. But I, I'd say it's, yeah, whether it's, I don't know, something about sort of expanding the epidural space or whether it can. And I think make the time curl. that they've been in that position curled yeah. over yeah. not being able to. Some people just have uh, a tendency to that. And yeah. before you even put local anaesthetic under their skin, that can happen. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, yeah, we've all had the patients like that. So, so, if, so if they are sitting up and you're doing the epidural and they're saying, I'm feeling a bit sick. Um, yeah, nausea is often a Just presume they are hypertensive because yeah. often there's no one looking at their face and yeah. doing yeah. their blood pressure. But you can just keep things sterile, lie them on their side, yep. and, and often without any treatment at all, they feel Better. fine. Yeah, um, that's right. But obviously, you know, if we just give them some local anaesthetic, just, you know, exclude that that's the cause of it as well. Yeah. All right, um, we're getting near the end now. So that someone... F- Phones, uh, the middle of phones you up and says, oh, your, um, your epidural uh, catheter was connected to the CAD pump, but now it's not. It's the, <laughs> I found it. The um, tubing is floating around in the bed. Um, can you come and have a look at her? What, how would you manage that? <laughs> Shilpa. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really frustrating, and it's it's sort of, so it does occur more commonly when new, well, I guess new staff arrive. Uh, try and avoid it in yeah. the first place. So that's well, right. not really answering your question, Roger, but you know, um, I think it can be avoided to some extent, not always, but checking you know, the, uh, the connector is on the catheter well, so you've shoved the entire bit of catheter in as far as it goes, um, making the filter, making sure the filter is screwed on. Yep. Not over tightly, because if you overdo it, it can, can thread it. Yeah. Um, but make sure it's yeah, not cross-threaded and make sure it's on you know, um, tightly. Um, and you know, a lot of people will also put a dressing over the um, connector just to stop it from disconnecting miraculously yeah. disconnecting. But the change to the connector seems to have reduced this yeah. in certain types of epidurals. You know, most common ones. Yeah, that it was we really use. the, the old-fashioned way. Of, yeah. yeah, the older the older type um, connection was much more common, but it still does happen. And it's frustrating because you've it gone does. through all this effort to put it in, and now you have to make this decision about yeah. what you're going to do. And, 
the safest thing is to not use it because you don't know what's going on. Do you? Uh, it could have bacteria on it now. What if it disconnects upstream of the um, uh, of the filter? Most of the time, it's downstream of the filter, yeah. and so it's not safe because you could have bacteria. Um, but the filters are really, really good mm-hmm. at filtering bacteria. There's some really good studies out there showing where people have like injected poo <laughs> poo contaminated solutions through right. filters, and there's like. In vitro, not not on. Not I was going to say, what budget. articles are you reading, Roger? Know, so where they've got like very contaminated <laughs> solutions and injected them through filters mm. and then done the you know, microscopy, they are pretty good at. Yeah, yeah, they're extremely good at stopping anything getting through and through. So, but it's pretty rare for it to disconnect on that side of the. It is, yeah, the catheter and yeah. uh, of the um, filter, unfortunately. So it does happen, you know, and I think you know whether you know for each individual case. You know, if you've got someone who's needing an emergency cesarean section, who's obese, who's being rushed up to theatre, and it's just disconnected and it's been working perfectly well, you could argue the risks of yeah doing something different. That's right. Or the risks of just reconnecting what's already you know just come off is is you know you've got to make that judgment call. But yeah. I would I would agree, Roger. The, um, the best practice is to remove it. We used to say if it was a witness disconnection, you'd wipe it with some chlorhexidine, get some sterile scissors, cut it below the meniscus, and then put it on a new filter. Yeah. Um, which, when you think about it, you know, we go, you know, all these issues with chlorhexidine, and then we were saying, just wipe down your catheter with chlorhexidine, <laughs> then, and then yeah. inject down it. Um, it's but I, I think the, the exam answer is to remove it unless there was a really really compelling reason yep. not to yeah would you agree absolutely yep. yep okay finally fluid under the dressing or the dressing's been breached again i, I was you know case by case yep. basis where are we in labor are we about to rush up to theater um certainly early on in labor that's not a great sign um yep. and if there's a you know say this is a v-back and or you, you're expecting that there's a reasonable chance this patient might need to go to theater that's not a good sign. You do see some collection of fluid, don't you? you yeah. know, it's not uncommon at all yeah. that it's, um, I guess, working out how much is too much. Yep. Um, breach dressings. Again. It's hard yeah. to know. It's yes. case by case. It, it, it yeah. is hard to know. Sometimes the, bre- the, the breach is just on the one corner, and yeah. it depends on what the, uh, other dressing you use, like underneath the main dressing. Yeah. You know, if you have a locket which is holding the catheter in place, then the locket itself is quite um, well contained and sterile, so the catheter itself is probably still clean. Yeah. If it's just the other outlying dressing, but yeah, if you think that's the catheter or anything is really you know badly contaminated, I guess the safest thing is to assume that it's yeah. not safe to use. But most, br- I think most dressing breaches are probably okay to redress. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I think it's probably less risk than a catheter that's been disconnected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because <coughs> the whole catheter uh, tubing and connections and things is all still yeah. in place, and it's, it's what's going down the inside of the catheter that matters. Yeah, uh, but similar to the disconnections, try and avoid it from happening in the first place. And yes, yeah. just, just start becoming really fastidious with your dressings, dressings. <laughs> which I've become. Yep, um, and just just be. How do you dress your dress uh, oh, the epidurals so then? We shouldn't go into that because there are going to be so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen we can do an like entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, and a little bit. It, no, it doesn't really matter. I think just do what your institution. But does. I think I think just do. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Just just do it well. You know, yeah. I think just mm. spend a bit of time. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Try 
just because you know just make sure the uh, the ends of um, you know so you're not going to get peeling yep. Yep. from from the edges. Um, just spend you know we, we do spend a lot of time putting the epidurals in. Maybe take our off the ball in the dressing, but I yep. think I think the dressing is really important. Do it like a plastic surgeon does. You know, just well not quite like a plastic <laughs> surgeon, but, <laughs> but they 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 take a lot of pride in how they put dressings on, yep. don't they? Because um, that's the only thing the patient remembers. We don't want this to fall out, you know, especially <laughs> with uh, obese patients. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll start. so that's all the only ones I've got uh, written down. Um, have you guys got any other common, any, any other problems you think people might want to ask about or any advice? But I guess there are those blocks where um, we haven't really talked about, you know, maybe we haven't talked about testing a block with ice, you know, yep. where we're actually assessing, you know, the adequacy of a block, unilateral blocks potential subdural blocks yeah i don't know if we want to yep. touch so on what's that. a subdural block and what would make you think of that well um presumably the uh, the subdural block is when the epidural catheter is is between two different parts of the the dura so it's not within the epidural space itself but it's gone through some of the layers of the dura but not all the way through so it's into the intrathecal space um it's slightly controversial yep um it's a hard thing to diagnose and prove that it is what we think it is, but the typical presentation of a subdural block is a high patchy block. Yes, Sometimes right. you might get a sympathetic block, maybe a Horner syndrome. Yeah, um, not not a motor block, um, but it's it's high and just not really behaving like Erratic. an epidural space, an yeah. epidural block. Yeah. So usually they're sore. Yeah. But they've got like numb patches uh, intermittently. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like you said, sometimes they have a soreness and remember dilated, dilated pupil on one side of their eye. And the risk is also that, you know, given that the catheter is maybe sitting within the tiny membrane of the dura, there's a risk of it popping through into the intrathecal space yeah. and then your subdural block, which probably isn't causing a great deal of imminent harm, might become more dangerous than intrathecal. Yeah. So we've definitely had cases where that seems to have been the case, yeah. isn't it, where someone has then tried to top it up quickly for a... Uh, for for a surgical procedure like a Caesar or something, and they've had suddenly had a high, you know, and, uh, and then suddenly they've been able to aspirate CSF. Yeah. Um, I don't have any other things. I think we've probably talked yeah. for long enough now. Yeah. There's there is probably a, a list of really unusual things we could t- talk about, but um, no, covered quite a lot of ground. <laughs> we've covered there. we've yes. covered all the most common problems in troubleshooting. So thanks everyone. I did have a few dad jokes, but we've. Um, I'm not going to use them today. <laughs> I'm going to spare you for the, the pain. Thanks, uh, Matt and Pleasure, Roger. Thank for, you, for Roger. sharing your knowledge. You've been listening to the Obstetric Anesthesia Basics podcast series, a short podcast series designed for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. These discussions are designed to encourage uh, understanding and appreciation of the challenges and issues that are frequently encountered in this area of anesthesia. However, there is no such thing as one correct way to practice obstetric anesthesia. Equipment, drugs, facilities, protocols and practices will and do vary across hospitals, geographical locations and time. You should always ensure that you follow the appropriate practice in your own institutions. Thank you for listening. Thank you.